Hi, I'm Lucas James. And I'm Jordan Ross. And I'm AJ Casada. And we're the co-hosts of How to Scale an Agency. After scaling our own agencies to over $185,000 per month in sales and working with agencies doing hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue like Hawk Media and Neil Patel, we've made this show to interview the top digital marketing agency owners and highlight the fastest ways to scale your agency. If you would like to join a community of like-minded agency owners and scale your business while doing so, go to eightfigureagency.co forward slash call to explore options on how we can help you scale your agency. What's good, agency owners? This is a really interesting episode for us here at How to Scale an Agency. In this conversation, I'm actually on someone else's podcast getting interviewed. This podcast is geared towards freelancers, people that want to move from the freelance world to the agency world, how to build an agency. And the guy interviewing me was actually someone that's doing like 9K a month in recurring revenue. He's a freelancer. He's trying to figure out how to become an agency owner. So he was really asking me, so many questions that he was going through. So this is a really great episode. I think you're going to enjoy this one. And thanks for tuning in. I'll see you soon. What is up, creators? Wade, the understory bard here. And today, our interview series continues with Jordan Ross of Eight Figure Agency. Jordan, how are you doing today, man? Hey, Wade. I'm fantastic. Thank you so much for having me on the show. It's good. It's good. It's my birthday today. So you're giving me a birthday present by coming on the show. Happy birthday. Mine was 10 days ago. So oh, look at that. October birthdays. So solid. Libra's ruling. All right. Awesome. Well, I'm excited to talk to you because I think out of a lot of the business owners, you know, creative people, they have this issue where they think just being creative and smart is enough. And I think one thing that you talk a lot about is systems and processes. But before we get into that, let's do a little origin story, man. How did you get to where you're doing now? And I, I know you used to have a kind of an exciting job. I mean, I don't know if I would call it kind of exciting for me, but um, so I have always wanted to be an entrepreneur for like, as long as I can remember, I was the kid doing lemonade stands, right? Like hustling, selling baseball cards, selling chocolate. And when I was in college, I went to Ohio State. I saw a presentation from Amazon when I was trying to find myself. And the presentation said, you could graduate and manage a hundred people. And I was like, whoa, that's pretty dope. And the month before that, I heard on my a podcast from Lewis Howes from the School of Greatness. He said, if you want to be an entrepreneur, go build skills. And he laid out the skills. I was like, oh, that's operations, that's management, that's a lot of things. I'm going to go work for Amazon. So I worked there for four years. When I was 21, I was managing a team of 100 people right out of college. When I was 24, I was managing a team of 800 employees, eight-figure business unit. And I learned how to run a killer operation. I started consulting on the side. First client ever was an agency owner. And he was a creative, Sam Lister, Blank Slate Media. Within like a year and a half, we grew him to a million dollar agency, sold his company. Second client ever, David Riggs, 10K to 300 million in annual revenue in 20 months. And that just kept happening over and over and over again. To date, you know, we have six consultants on the team. Five of them are eight figure COOs, meaning they've been a COO in eight figure business. One of them was a COO who's actually a client of mine. Got two million sold, and uh, we got over 120 active clients we're working with. Um, primarily agency owners, but you know we get a lot of referrals too. So there's a handful of random companies that we're working with. That's crazy. I mean, I'm thinking about like when you were at Amazon. Did you think that you were going to stay there and kind of do the corporate thing, or you're just like, let me get in? Not, let me not for a let day. Get out. Literally not for a day. I literally went to Amazon. I want to be an entrepreneur. Like that was it. And I remember. So I went to college from 2012 to 2016, and 
that's when podcasting became pretty big. So I was walking across campus. I was podcasting every day. And one of the things I heard on a podcast was most entrepreneurs stress so much because they spend all of their time messing up on their own dollar, go mess up on someone else's dollar. So I was like, I'm going to do that with Amazon. So I literally went there. I was an entrepreneurship and training. Well, they can handle it too, right? So it's like, you know, that's, I think in some ways you get the best of both worlds because if you make kind of a big mistake, you're like, ah, Amazon can handle it. But at the same time too, is that you're, you're that's NFL football. You know what I mean? Like they're, Amazon is, especially a technology, they're the tip of the spear in terms of just everything. It was my MBA. And I think it should be more prominent that entrepreneurs go to companies first because you will learn so much and you'll prevent so much headache. Because when you're messing up on your own dollar, that's, if you have a family, if you're not like a Gen Z entrepreneur, if you're like a elder 20s, 30s, 40s, you do not want to mess up on someone else's dollar too. Uh, sorry, on your own dollar. So it's a great technique that I leveraged and it gave me like 80% of everything I need to know to run a business, honestly. Well, and I think one thing that's so awesome is the systems idea, right? I mean, so one of my kids is sick. Today, I ordered some, I don't know, my wife had me do some organic probiotic or something from Amazon. It's at my door within you know an hour and 15 minutes. Like that's, That is, does not happen without amazing systems. Yeah. And what I talk about with my clients at Amazon, there's two systems. You have software and then you got people. That's it. So I call them hard and soft systems. Hard system means it's like it's wired in the programming in the software. We could automate it through that or AI. And then everything else is a soft system. It's related to people and maximizing people. So we focus primarily on the latter, but you know, we do have resources to help with the former too. Cause you need you need to optimize your whole business if you want to grow. So I want to do I want to talk about two things. So one, let's first talk about your perfect client, right? So like if you could say, all right, there's this business or this person, they're at this point, what is that perfect client for you that, that you can help, that you can mass help right now? Who is that person? It's really interesting because we've built a lot of versatility in our offer. Our largest client's doing over a hundred million annually, and they've been working with us for a while. And they're going to keep working with us for a while because now we're expanding into different departments and we're helping them a lot because they have a horrible operation. Their team's completely disorganized. But then, you know, we onboarded, we've onboarded. So at the time of recording, we're recording this on the 17th of October, we've already onboarded 10 new clients this month. And the majority of them are doing at least $400,000 annually minimum. That's usually our best clients. So our best clients are the ones that if we were to figure out the operation, whether that's for smaller businesses, less than 2 million annually, I need to figure out how to get myself out of the operation to build the business that work without me to get my team to perform. Or if that's a larger business, the seven, eight, and nine figure companies, it's really structuring the company the right way, having the right management process to optimize performance. Those are the two problem sets that we solve better than anyone. And honestly, the size doesn't matter. The company usually doesn't matter as long as it's a people oriented company, it's all the same for me. But if you know how to get leads and you know how to sell, we can handle the rest. So do you guys help with taking what people are doing for client acquisition and then just scaling it? Or are you saying, hey, look, okay, so here's how, you know, this way that you're getting your clients, there's too much friction. You've got the case studies, you've got the the systems in place. You obviously can, you know, because I come from a writing background, so I'm thinking, you know, a writing agency, right? Like a content or email. Yeah. We work with a bunch of content agencies. Yeah. So... And then, so like, do you help them with client acquisition or in new verticals? Or do you say, we're going to scale what you're doing and we're going to put it on steroids? Some context behind that question before I answer the question. So for my own business, 
we're booking over 100 appointments a month. We've been doing about 100 to 150 for well over a year now, every month. 50 of those appointments per month, more than that, are inbound leads every single month. They come in from my site, my podcast, Twitter, YouTube, and they book a call. And we're consistently onboarding about 20-ish retainers a month, very consistently, every single month. Net new recurring revenue every month. So we do help our clients with that. The preface I give is, you know, that's not our bread and butter. It's not what we're the best in the world. We're the best in the world when when you need to scale your company, let's do content agencies as an example. When you need to go from two content writers to five, 10, 20, when you need to get a layer of middle management, when you need to stop working on account strategy and account management, and you need to start working on the growth of your company rather than the operations of your company, we're the best at that. And it's a one-on-one model. We build a custom plan. This is the next 12 steps you need to take over the next quarter. We're going to work with you one-on-one and implement it. But the other thing I implemented this year, 2023, was a group component because there were still a lot of questions. And I say to my clients, hey, you can use the one-on-one for everything. Just come to me on the group calls and I do them twice a week. Come to me with everything sales and marketing and appointment setting and business development related and I will teach you my system. There's four ways to get clients when you're running your own process. I teach three of those ways. It's cold outreach, content, and warm outreach. That's it. Those are three ways. And then there's ads, but I don't teach that. So we use the group calls for that. And it's pretty fruitful because I'm just teaching them what I'm doing. And I think I, I, I made a post about this last week on Twitter. I'm posting about 450 to 475 pieces of content every month. I just did a client acquisition workshop for an hour and a half talking about two of those verticals, right? And so it's like, I'm a big believer in volume reps in terms of content for inbound, to generate inbound leads, right? And then also for warm up. So, and that's so helpful because you're going to have people who are going to progress, right? So if, take me, for example. I'm a freelancer. I've got you know nine clients right now that are MRR, right? And so now I'm like, okay, so I can double that and then stop working. I can go to an agency model, right? So like go to small agency and then start to push that three to five level. I know I can do that, but then if I wanted to take it from that three to five level to that next level, like you said, I'm going to burn so much money and mistakes. If you have someone that's saying, all right, this person, they know how to produce content. So like, let's say they're doing newsletter and email marketing, okay? They know how to do that. And then how can they start to set themselves up for success so they can take it from that 10000 to that $35,000 a month so that when they come to you, they go exponential, right? So that they come to you prepared. Because that's what I would like to do. You know, that's what I would like to do is for my people is like, how do I get them from me to you? Because I know how to get them to 10, 15 grand a month, no problem, right? I want to know for the ones that are interested in to go in that route, how do I get them from me to you? Yeah. And I will say we do have an entry level program. I call it the grow with you model. It's, you know, naturally when you get a lot of leads, a lot of people are doing less than 30K a month, right? So we actually had one guy, he came on my podcast last Friday. So we're recording this on Tuesday, Asa Burroughs. He's doing a design agency. So they're product design. So think about software. And he came in, he was doing project based. He had no recurring revenue. And with his first 90 days, he went from just himself to a team of, I think, four or five. And now he has 20K in recurring revenue. So we do do that. It's like about 20 to 30% of our monthly net new clients come in through that world. But if you're in that world where you're like, I'm a freelancer, I want to start to build a business because I want to have more flexibility. I want to have more freedom. I want to make more money, whatever the series of reasons is. The first thing that I always say is you need to define your workflow. So the analogy I give, if you were to build a home and you say, I want this home to be worth two, three, five million million, 
and you're going to a plot of land, you're not going to just start digging. You're going to bring on an architect, you're going to bring on an engineer, you're going to bring on a designer. Entrepreneurs, freelancers especially, they just start digging, right? And I'm like, all right, oh shit, I'm, I'm at capacity. I guess I'll hire someone. And there's no intentionality behind it. One of the number one things I learned at Amazon is the ability to reverse engineer your success, start with where you want to go, and then what are all the steps I need to do to get there? So with our clients, we build out that blueprint. So the, the workflow. So if you're, let's just do content, keep that analogy running. If you're running a content agency, what's the first step when you sign a client? Like they just paid all the way to your first 90 days. That's about onboarding. And then what I call the loop process. You do the same for our clients. We do the same thing every month and every quarter and every year, just around and around. So if you map out that's two processes, every step, like every nuance, internal communications, external communications. And then there's a lot of other things, right? SOPs and trainings, software implications, like bottlenecks, when these steps break down, how long the steps should take, definition of done, when the steps done. If you map out that whole thing, it's going to be a lot easier to do the rest of, right? Source, hire, onboard, train, define expectations, set of project management, end of day reporting. So, you know, things got done. Um, your operations meeting, leveraging data, like all these things are so much easier when you have the blueprint. So that's step number one. I always try to get creative people to understand the concept of MRR, right? Because it's shocking to me how many people just go from project to project to project to project, but then you're always in client acquisition. You can't ever grow. You get in the depth, the do loop of burnout, right? And also too, is I think what I, I try to get creative people to understand is that you have to make money to be able to self-produce your own project. Like that's the world today. The barriers to entry for anything that you want to do as a creative person, you can now do yourself. You can make your own movies. You can self-publish your own books. You can do high ticket books, low ticket books. You can do your own radio show. You can do whatever you want, but that takes money and time. And so if, unless you figure out how to do automate your client acquisition, automate your, you know, so you have MRR, not doing project to project, you're never going to be able to get to where you want. And I think the light comes on for people when they start to realize that it's not, a, it's, it enables their art and their creativity. It doesn't hem it in. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I think, you know, what I built for my business, I don't do any fulfillment anymore. I do sales. I do this. I do branding and marketing. But if you look at my content, all that content's me. I'm making one or two YouTube videos a week. I'm recording. I'm posting two podcasts a week. I'm posting seven times a day on Twitter. One time, like I'm doing a lot. And you know, I was even lying in bed two nights ago, and I'm thinking about how I could improve my YouTube content. And I was like, you know, so I'm a I'm a big Marvel MCU fan. I don't know if you guys listening are too. And there's one guy I watch. I watch all the. It doesn't matter if it's the show on Disney Plus or it's the movie. I will watch the recap where they go through all the Easter eggs. And there's this there's one guy I watch, and he will pause and he'll do like these funny things that keeps you engaged. And he'll mention a reference of one point, and then he'll reference like a book or a TV show or something else. And then he'll be like, "That was funny, was it?" And that is a very creative process for him. So I'm sitting there. I'm like, my YouTube videos. I'm just talking. I need to start to be engaging and funny. I have this space to think about that and do it because my cash flow enables me and my business enables me to just, oh, I could actually spend the time to make my YouTube videos more creative in nature and engaging in nature because I have the capacity from financial and time perspective to do it. So I think that's a great point around your business as a creative does enable that. It unlocks so much because I could invest a lot to whether that's consultants, team members, like I have a six or seven person team for all my content creation and promotion. Yeah. And I think that's the power of systems, right? And again, coming back to like the predictable income, 
And I think people get scared sometimes of working with agencies like yours because they're like, it's just going to be a one size fits all thing. It's not going to work for me or it may not work for me, but it worked for someone else. Walk me through a little bit about kind of like your onboarding process and how you can kind of tweak it individually. Because obviously, like, look, you're going to have principles. You have the way that you do things, right? There, You can't get away from principles. That's the fundamentals of the fundamentals. But walk me through a little bit about how you can really craft for people something that is an individual fit for them versus trying to get them to fit into something um, that they may not want to do. One, I think you should be cautious. Like, you should never hire an agency or consultancy without due diligence. And I say that, but... I barely followed my own advice and I'll tell you why. I'm just, I'm so intuitive. Like I trust my gut over everything else. That is a fault. It has hurt me in the past. But if you're hiring an agency, like most people suck. So to your point, Wade, like that, you should be concerned and apprehensive. For us, one of the things I realized early in the last, you know, early on my first like second year of the business, and we even changed this, we had to fix this last year too. We got to, had to get better at it. We have to build some form of customization for this to work. Because when it was just Jordan, I had consulted like hundreds of companies. I could go in there. I was so good. I could pin you within 10 minutes, five minutes. People are not like that. And this is also, as a freelancer, people aren't as good as what you do in terms of your service. And you can make things nuanced quick. So what we do, we start with what I call discovery. We need, if we're going to intimately guide you, right? If you're going to be plugged in with an eight-figure COO or a seven-figure COO and They've already built the size company that you want to build. They can't just consult you agnostically. They have to understand business. What do you aspire for? What do you offer? What are the nuances? What are the pains and apprehensions? What's the service? What do you do and don't have in terms of software? We go through it all. And once we have this comprehensive understanding, then we build the blueprint, right? So going back to that blueprint, I told you, we do a similar blueprint. We built a 12-step plan. It used to be called a 12-week plan, but then we would get rock stars in and be like, hey, I finished the first three weeks in week one. What do I do now? So... We build this plan and a lot of times when I'm on sales calls, I'd be like, this is why we're successful. Granted, 95% of all of our clients are going to have the same first month because no one has the right foundation. But once we get past, now that we have a foundation to scale, we have to, on a new nuanced level, we have to pick and choose the correct step to put in with you at the right week, at the right time, so you can scale. So that's what we do to make sure our clients are successful and we build a custom plan for them. But then on the flip side of that, we what I learned in the last 90 days, I got I take consciousness around this. There's different types of clients. So we're done with you experience. And the reason we are, I believe as consultants that are training and consulting people on how to build in-house, you are so much more empowered as an entrepreneur if you actually know how to run the system and build the system. I think done for you services are great, but they're actually disempowering too, because if you, let's just say, I were hiring someone to run my content for me and ship breaks, or I have someone running my Facebook ads, if I don't know how to audit that and check that, like I'm disempowered. They're a liability for me if something breaks, right? So it's important that we teach our clients knowing how to execute. But within that model, I realized, okay, there are clients that get on call with us and are like, hey, I want you to build this system with me because that's who I am. I want you to build it with me. We have clients like um, Levi, he's based in Dubai. He's like, hey, I want to get on these calls. I want you to train me on this system. I want to learn on a call with you. And then we have this client, Eric, who gets on a call with this. He's based in Germany. He's like, hey, I want you to send me the model, the system, the example, the template, the action, like a client example a week before. I'm going to try to execute it. And when I get on call with you, we're going to be going through what I built. And I might have other random questions too, because I'm like a neurotic entrepreneur, right? I think a lot. So that's how our customization works. It's the plan plus how do you want us 
to curtail our experience for you based on your learning style. Scaling your agency month over month is hard. You have to work on delivery and worry about retention and sales, appointments, managing your team, and so much more. I was able to grow a multi seven-figure business and remove myself completely from the day-to-day operation. If you want to do the same, I will show you the exact process I followed to hit the $2 million per year run rate and completely remove myself from the operation. If you want to build the dream business and live the life of your dreams, go to eightfigureagency.co forward slash value. I will show you how to build a business that can grow and operate without needing you. Once again, this is eightfigureagency.co forward slash value, and I will give you my best training ever for free. And I think that's so smart because I'm a big believer on discoveries, right? Like you can design things all you want, but it's the discoveries that are the leverage points. And if you just go and you just do it for me, that's great. But like you said, if it breaks, I'm not going to know how to fix it. But then I, no one knows my business better than I know my business, right? Like I know my offer. I know exactly how it runs. Now the system side's not that great, but when you do it with me, I will have discoveries that I will realize things about my business that you won't because you don't know it as well as I do and vice versa, right? So I think that do it with you, although it's more work and people would love to say here, just give you a pile of money, fix it. I think long-term for long-term success, I think that's a much, the discovery model like that together is much more, much more viable. And, and it's scalable with sustainability. So like, let's take that exact example. If you do not know how to do it, like how could you hold someone else accountable to do it effectively? How could you know if they're doing it well, right? So like, let's go back to Twitter. I'm running Twitter ads to get followers up until a week ago, I didn't know how to run targeting on Twitter. I didn't know how to run engagement campaigns. So I probably about $50 a day to get new followers. And the reason I do that, I know if someone follows me on Twitter within their first 90 days to six months, if they're in my audience, there's a strong likelihood they're going to book a call. So I'm like, I'll just put my best content. I put my best content in front of them. And I think right now I'm getting about like a dollar a follower. So I'm getting, if I'm spending $50, I'll probably get $50. If I'm spending $50, I'll get 50 followers today. I didn't know how to do that up until two weeks ago. And when I learned how to do that, I finally paid someone to teach me, shit, they're using the wrong content. They're not targeting correctly. They're like, they're doing all these things wrong. And there's a huge opportunity cost rate because I'm spending my money. And I'm also not getting in front of the right people. So now my business isn't growing as much. That's why I believe like if you teach someone how to run it sustainably, it's scalable because there's ownership too. I'm vested in this and I could hold my team accountable compared to if someone builds this for me, whatever. Well, and it goes back to the MRR model, right? Which is you spend the time to acquire the client, then it's about retention and growth. Okay. So it's the same thing as like, if you can help your people be more successful, if you can help them to learn what it is, what they're doing, they're going to stick with you longer because they have the discoveries because of you versus if you just pay someone to do, do something and makes it more of a mercenary relationship where it's just like, well, okay, I've been paying Jordan this money for a year. And now this other guy's going to come in and it's fungible. But if you take someone on a journey with you, it stops being fungible because of the connection. It's crazy. I think treating people right is just such an easy strategy to retain your talent. And one of the things I talk about too with, let's say you're a freelancer, you're trying to get a few contractors, right? I have a contractor, his name's Z. He's amazing, right? He does all my web development. 
So we're constantly tinkering where we use what's called heatmap.com to see where all my users that come to the website, what they're clicking on and what actually leads to book calls. He is so great and he now does so much for me, but I've taken vested interest in him. Like, hey, like, what do you want to make in a short and long-term basis? What are your professional aspirations, right? These are questions I've asked. How do you like to be managed? Is there like a communication style? So to tie that to love languages, right? There's five love languages. Some people like gifts, some people like words of affirmation, some people like acts of service. If you know these things about your employees, like some people need a virtual high five because you can't physically high five them. But some people need, like I had an employee, Zach, he's like, I need you to tell me I'm doing well. His primary love language is words of affirmation. If I do not tell Zach something positive weekly, he will mentally feel some type of way. So when I just ask these questions about them, I'm just now basically saying, what do you need in terms of compensation and career opportunities and, and in your role? And then how do I need to engage with you and manage you so you don't ever leave? Because as a new freelancer trying to build a business, one of the biggest things that will set you back is you train this person up to take this part of your business and then they leave, which will happen. Like I've had so many people from Upwork, I've hired them, they've come and gone. And you know, you're ultimately trying to find the ones that you could stay for a long time. But when you do that system, it just puts the odds in your favor to keep the good people longer. I think that's important. I agree. The love language one is funny because I'm aware of the book, I've read it, and then my wife is an acts of service person. And so before I just use an acts of service person, I did this um, journal where I wrote every day about what I was thankful for her for like 140 days and I gave it to her on Christmas. And she's like, okay, yeah, that's great. Like, go clean the dishwasher, right? Like, so then I, you know, I started doing the dishwasher every day and she's like, you're amazing. You're the best husband ever. It's like, okay, great. You know, so it's incredible once you do realize that everyone's a little bit different than you, you know, and, and I think a lot of freelancers, entrepreneurs, creative people, that's a tough thing for them to learn, man. It's just like that the people look through the world in a different lens. Management's hard for creatives. It's very hard. I'm a creative. And I didn't realize it was until like into my mid twenties, but leadership came easy for me. Management was hard. And that's what I learned at Amazon though. How does your agency make that easier for creatives, right? Because so for instance, for me, like when I was a lawyer, right? I was a lawyer for 20 years. I had a law firm and I never wanted to scale the law firm for two reasons. One is because I didn't want to deal with the management or labor houses. All my friends who had bigger law firms, which is a complete constant nightmare for them. I just don't want to do that. And so there was a big disincentive for me to go from a small to a medium-sized firm that I was never going to go to a large-sized firm because you know, then you have the second problem is that the talent that gets you from small to medium doesn't get you from medium to large. Not always. They have to retrain. Like, How do you help creators with that? Because people have no clue. Most people have no clue. All those analogies around law, it's the same in agencies too. And with creatives and freelancers, it's the same comparisons. What gets you to 30K a month doesn't get you to 100K a month. The talent that gets you to 100K a month doesn't get you to 200K a month, right? All those principles are the same. So it actually goes back to what we're talking about around operations. So if you have a really clearly defined workflow, I'll sprinkle in the extra things. You need really clear expectations. Here are all your responsibilities. Here are your goals and KPIs. You could break those goals and KPIs down. Let's just say it's project management. Like, I need you to be up to date on everything daily. And then if people have very clear expectations, their performance increases about 25 to 50%. So that's number one. Creatives don't set ex effective expectations. So that's really about, I got that from Amazon and I got that from sports. My best coach ever. I played uh, AAU basketball. We were going for a tournament when I was in high school and he walked down the line. He's like, 
Jason, this is your role on the team. Matt, this is your role on the team. Dylan, this is your role on the team. These are all guys I actually played with. And we need to do the same thing for our company or our freelancers or our contractors. And then end of day reporting is the easiest thing that enables management to be easier. So the number one thing that management is responsible for, it's retaining your talent and developing them. That's it. If you could keep your people and make sure they get better, you're fine. So the second prong of that is developing them. Do you have visibility every day into what they're doing? So within that visibility, right, I say you need to track if it's data related, if you're running like, if you're doing creative for ads, like you need to track those ads daily. So if you have a media buyer working for you, are they sending the two or three clients they're working on, like their cost per click, their cost per lead? Like, do you see that data every day? Uh, project management, if you have content creators or writers or whatever it is you have, they need to send a snippet of two things. Their standard work, the standard work by my definition, Amazon's definition, it's the things that you're supposed to do every single day and week, every single day and week, right? You could have standard work for specific clients or standard work for the company at large. There should be a checklist that's submitted every day. For me, I have a channel. I have every employee submit this. And then the other one is project management of specific clients. So if you have a client list, you could also have like a project management like dashboard that you could have in any software. If they submit those three things, data, project management, and checklist, you will know if they're executing. If you have visibility to see what's going on, you could catch things before they get stressful. A lot of people don't realize that. A lot of people think like, it's stressful because you don't have the right operation. You'll have visibility. So let's make visibility. And then daily, you could just, hey, I just want to check in. Are you, how's it going? I see you're trending this. Like, what, what are your thoughts? It allows for organic conversation around development and just making sure shit gets done. And that's the number one thing I could give to any any person. I have, and especially do this for like, if you're a freelancer and you have a few contractors, like from Upwork or Fiverr, 100%, they need to do that process. And if you're explaining the why, it's, hey, I don't want to micromanage you. I don't want to bother you. I want to just have effective communication. Can you just do this checklist? It will allow me to know everything's moving smoothly. And you can go to sleep at night knowing that shit's getting done in the way you need to get done. Well, it gives you a common language too, right? So it's like, it gives you, it's everyone's at agreement. Like, I will do this, you know, every day. And then if something's not working the way that you want it to, you're able to have a baseline to talk for instead of like, there's not the dancing around and be like, oh, they're going to do this, they're going to do that. Or how do you get people to understand that let's do this every day? We'll do these small tasks every day. And if we do that every day, that would prevent huge problems down the line, right? So I know that this may be consistently kind of a problem that you may not want to do it, but let me paint a vision for you what's going to happen or what can happen if this isn't done this way. Like, how do you approach that? Or is that something that you just kind of do on a case by case basis? Or you just say, this is what we're doing. There's like never pushback ever, especially if you do it from the start. Now, if you implement and you already have contractors, there's a management principle I got from Amazon. It's called explain the why. If you explain the why, people get bought in and don't really give resistance. Now, I realized we're not running our communication that effectively. We're not running our project management as effectively as we can. This is creating a lot of stress for me. So like I'm sitting up at night thinking about, are we doing things the right way? Which I don't want to. I think I'm maybe a little bit disorganized or give them the explanations and then say, I found this process from this operations guy. That's just a daily checklist. It's literally going to solve this problem. Would you mind if we implement this? Is that okay with you? No one's going to say no. If they say no, then you have a a hole on your team and you should probably replace them. 
the only I have in the last 90 days, I have had one person, ironically, it's one of my guys that I brought with me from Amazon. So he did this process at Amazon. Within that end of day report, there is something called the wash at Amazon. In the wash, it's a there's a bridge. Here's what I try to do, but we didn't do it. We did these things and we missed these components. I need you to bridge the explanation. If this is what we said we would do and we did this, like explain to me what we missed. The only pushback I got is like, this just seems like busy work. I'm not actually adding value. I'm like, hey man, if you don't write that, I'm just building an impression of you as your manager that you're missing execution. And that will eventually turn into more serious conversations, which we could just be avoided. If you just explain to me why we missed, what you learned and what you're going to do differently, we don't even have to talk. And he resisted again a second week and then I had a conversation. I'm like, hey man, like I need to be very clear with you. If you're unwilling to do this, like we have about 20 other people doing this and you're the only one not doing it. What's the bar- What's the real barrier here? Like what's really going on? Because I know it's not about the process. And I had to do something with his ego. He's like, and we went into it. It had nothing to do with the process. Had to, he had an emotional thing that was more unconscious that we had to talk through. So if there is resistance, that's an indicator that you need to go be a human with this person because something else is going on that has nothing to do with the report. So usually pushbacks shouldn't happen. Well, and the cool thing too is, is um, and this is why I love talking to people because I'm always learning, right? So there's there's two things here. Is one is that if you have a, some, a system like that in place, it's going to give you signal, right? And if you keep getting the same signal, it, you go, oh, there's something else going on. And you'll never get that signal if you don't have that process in place, right? But then number two is the blueprint you come back to is like, if I have a blueprint in place and I know what I need, that I tell you from the beginning, this is, you know, use the basketball analogy, right? So for me, it was, Wade, we need you to block shots. We need you to get rebounds. And we need you to defend their, you know, their best local score. That's that's all you get to do. You do never get to shoot. If you rebound a ball, you have to give to somebody else, somewhere else to shoot. You never shoot. But that's the, if you don't know those roles in the, you know, from the blueprint, then you get people who get confused as to what they're supposed to be doing. You're confused and it creates conflict and chaos. Yeah. What could also happen is people try to do more than they should. Right. We have a team member who he so badly wants to help everything, which is actually his biggest, one of his biggest detriments. Like he tries, he oversteps his responsibilities. And like sometimes, like we're just talking and letting him know things about the business. And before I know it, he's got his hands in that. And we had to have a conversation like, hey, man, I need to real, realign with you. Like when you do this, it creates more chaos and disorganization. I'm just talking to you because I know. You want to be informed of what's going on in the business. I'm not telling you these things for you to go take action. We have processes for that. I'm telling you these things because I know you care and you want to be informed and involved. But you actually going to go trying to solve them without permission or without like purview is like creating chaos. So responsibilities, expectations. We've gotten really super granular right now. And so it's like, so I want to talk about kind of like overall strategy philosophy, right? So yeah. So say someone like this, that's got a content agency and that's to say they do like for me, for example, like I do newsletters, right? And then half of my business is newsletters, half of them that I do founders emails, right? So the founders emails are, which I love by the way, the ghostwriting, the fa- and it's not even really ghostwriting because it's, I'm just taking stuff that they've said from interviews or then I write it and then they say yes. And then I sound like them, but those are hard to productize founders emails, right? Because for me, it's like, no one can write a founders email. Like I can write a founders email. Okay, because I have the infotainment and I have the the humor background, I have the law background. Like I can write a founder's email. So it's hard for me to productize. But the newsletters, I can teach someone how to, to productize a newsletter all day long, right? And write them quickly and efficiently and have them be awesome. So 
for someone that's in that position, and everyone has that, it doesn't have to be founders' emails and newsletters. It can be anything, right? But you have something that only you can do the best, and then you have something that you can productize. When you're getting at that point where you're going to say, all right, we're going to transition to an agency model. What is your recommendation in terms of strategy-wise? Is like, let's just go all in on the newsletters and then go high ticket for the, the one thing that you do, and then you just do it that way? Or do you say, no, I'm going to figure out a way to systemize like the founders' emails, for example? Like, What are you seeing that people are having the most success with? Because there are going to be a lot of people that personally, I'm getting to this, okay, I, I teach you how to acquire as a freelancer or maxing you out in, in terms of now you're going to figure out you want to go to agency. Great. Like, what advice would you give them from a strategy philosophy side of, of yeah. from there? There's two camps of people. There's people that have like, I'm a full service answer. You need to stop that right now because I'm telling you, you will take 3x longer to hit a million than if you just do one service for one industry. So like what you have in your situation is actually more uncommon than common. And then you got people that have the one offer. So for you, you have like two, right? Mm -hmm. I would say for people in a similar situation to your business, let's build, and I, I actually don't use the word productize, I use the word optimize. Let's optimize and templatize the offering that's the easiest. So for me, especially when you're moving from freelancer to entrepreneur as like a business owner and an agency owner, it's the game of leverage. So let's just use the newsletter as an example. In this process, build out the workflow, define expectations, have end-of-day reporting, right? Bring in people that will start to supplement your roles. So if I'm a founder and I'm doing everything, okay, the first thing I probably get off my plate, it's content writing. Cool. So I'll get content writing off my plate. Within content writing, you need to define, okay, here's how we do content writing. Here's the process. Here's all the skills you need. Here's my training videos. And then if you come into my process, I'm going to be training you for about 90 days on different clients. And eventually we'll get to a point where you're done through training. And now I can trust you individually. So do that with one person, right? And through that one person, you sustain that through daily reporting. And then I call it monthly one-on-ones. Just make sure like a check-in, whether it's 15, 30 minutes monthly to make sure they're good. Okay. You get the writing off your plate. Now you might need quality assurance because you're the one auditing and editing it, but maybe you don't need to. So you could find an editor that's really good. Like maybe you'll pay a premium, but now you don't have to edit three times a day. Now you get the editing off your plate. Cool. It's another thing to get off your plate. And then uh, there's project management. So we have 10, 15, 20 clients that are coming to us for their weekly newsletters and you're managing all those projects, get project manager off your plate, right? So for me, it's the game of identifying all the hacks that you have and getting the things that are the easiest or most time consuming or draining of your energy off your plate. And you could see here, I use the examples of writing, quality assurance, project management. The hardest thing is going to be strategy. That's going to be the hardest thing. Account management and strategy. That's the last thing and the reason it's the last is because it's also going to be the most costly when you do it the right way. So we want to optimize your business on everything else first. Now, for in your example, Wade, if I were you, right, where you have the founder newsletter and then you have the, the normal newsletter, the founder newsletter is hard because you have to speak in their voice. I've probably paid over $100,000 and ghostwriters and all this thing, and I've ended up firing all of them because keeping my voice is hard. So... What I would say, let's build a really good newsletter process. Through that process, you will eventually have enough profit where you're like, I'm good. Yeah. Life's pretty good. Now I could scale this other offering. The only way that I think you're probably going to do that well, you have to hire a really good freaking writer and they're gonna it's gonna cost it's gonna cost you something. Right. So with that writer, 
who's also going to be your, they're going to be your strategists and they're going to be your writers. They're going to be getting on calls. They're going to be account managing. They're going to be project managing. You will probably want to hire a contractor who's like, whether they're also a freelancer or full-time, you're going to pay them a lot though. So maybe your margins now for that other offer, you need to charge more, but maybe you could get a 50% gross margin through that person or maybe 40%. But because you're making enough for your own clients, you're making enough from this agency, for all those other clients for there, you're going to be okay taking a lower gross profit because you're re- everything else is optimized around you. And that's how I would think about when you need a really high-skilled role as like, I'm taking over your voice, I'm doing the daily newsletter, it's worth paying. And that's what I do with my team. I have five eight-figure CEOs. I pay a shit ton for that. I run lower margins, but I'm not needing the operations like 98% of the time. You just saved on my question because like obviously you answered it, but you answered it like a step before because for me, the reason why that there's the two different offers is that the it's where I acquire the client from. There's one client acquisition asset that I have that just throws off newsletters, right? And then there's another thing that I do that for whatever reason, people want me to hire to do their founders emails, right? So what's important is that we go back to the beginning, which is you talk about the blueprint, right? So if you say to yourself, all right, I want to I want to have a, an agency that's doing X number of dollars. It's like, that's what I want to do as a creative, okay? Whatever agency it is, it doesn't matter if it's writing or whatever. You've got to go, what type of clients am I getting through my client acquisition? And it's not going to help me. Yeah, I'm making money. And this is the problem everyone has. Yes, I'm making money right now, but is it the right money, right? Because if I'm focusing on client acquisition, that's that's going to put me in a, like a very unique offer that's going to be incredibly hard to, to productize and hard to replicate. You'd be really low margins. Maybe I need to think about it. Like I'm not there yet. Like I need to go. What is the type of client acquisition asset that I can develop that will give me the types of clients that I can go into the agency model? And that is even a step. That's like a step before anything else that we're talking about. Because I think what happens to a lot of people is that, like you said, they just they start digging, right? It's like, oh, let me take any case that I can, or let me take any, it's like lawyers do this all the time. It's like, I'll take anything, right? When they, they get killed in the meta. That's incredibly helpful where it's like, you need to think think this through all the way to even how you acquire clients, because that's going to set you on where you start to where you end. Yeah. And I'll even add one more point. Let's keep the analogy of like the founder's email. With my service, I tried to hire people that were, I was going to train them on my process. I wasted a lot of time doing that shit, like a lot of time. And what I ultimately realized is it's way better for me to hire someone who already knows how to consult, who already knows how to run a business, already knows how to scale a business. I'm just aligning them my process. I'm not training them how to do the thing. I'm training them on my nuanced process. So when I was running my business as a freelancer, I found one consultant and I maxed out. So I was making about 30K a month myself as Jordan Ross. When I was at a capacity where I was comfortable with, when I got a new client, I just sent it to him, right? So I'm filling up my workload, not 100% capacity of all my time. I'm maybe at like 60, 70. When I get new clients, I'm sending them to this new person, reviewing, I'm auditing them. So that's at a high touch, high skill. You could still have one person on a contract level, you pay them per account. And then when you bring in stuff like, oh, if you lose a client for the founder newsletter or the founder email, you have clients, you have prospects coming, so you could put them on your payroll, your own roster. And then as you're filled again, you could eventually scale and eventually you'll fill them up fully and be like, oh, I need to go find one more person, right? And yeah. eventually you'll get to a point through the other people, right? And this is what happened with me. I had a, other consultants where I slowly reduced my client load because I started to work on the business. Look, my wife, I want to make sure 
we live in LA. I want to make sure she's okay. I was just like, I need to be paying myself at minimum this much per month. And as long as I'm paying myself that, I'm, I'm okay. So eventually it came to a point where I slowly reduced the amount of work I was doing because these are lower margin things that when I'm bringing very talented people, but if I get enough clients and they're pretty sustainable, I could eventually drop how much I'm working in the business as an operator. So that's a, when it's a high skill, high touch team member or function that you are providing. That's how I did it. And that's how I'd encourage other people to do it too. Yeah. And I think it's a mix. And I've, I've preached this from honestly. It's like, just know what game you're playing. Are you playing a craft or are you playing arbitrage, right? Which is, I would say like the newsletter is like a business writing. It's productized. You can do it. But then the, the ghostwriting for the founders is more of a craft type of thing. And so you have to know what game you're playing because you'll get killed if you're playing the wrong game. And if you're playing two games, right? Like the Japanese proverb, or maybe yeah. the Chinese proverb. There's a proverb. I don't want to misquote this, but the man who chases two rabbits catches none. You can't scale two games. That's for sure. You can play two games and you know you definitely can't scale and you you can't do it forever either. You'll burn out. It's just too too confusing. Well, listen, dude, we're, we're coming up against our time. I could literally talk to you for another three hours. So what is the best place for people to find you on Twitter slash X and uh, your website? Yeah. So if you want to consume more of my content, Twitter and my podcast are the two best places for that. So my Twitter handle is Jordan underscore Ross underscore ADF. My podcast is How to Scale an Agency. I have two co-hosts. I publish my podcast Mondays and Thursdays if you just want to listen to me. And then my website is eightfigureagency.co. And if you like this so much where you're like, hey, I want to book a call with this guy because I have questions. I want to turn myself from freelancer into agency owner, go to eightfigureagency.co forward slash call and we could chat. Dude, well, amazing. I I mean, you dropped a masterclass just in strategy alone. So, and operations, just thinking about it. So I appreciate it. And it was personally helpful for me. So thanks for coming on. What is good, agency owners? Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you are looking for support growing your agency and are not sure the best way to do that, go to eightfigureagency.co forward slash call where you will book a call with us and we will start our process to help you figure out what is the best way to grow your business. We're going to review your systems, add value, and help you understand a new model and system that you can start to build that is going to easily enable massive growth this year. Once again, that is eightfigureagency.co forward slash call, where we will help you scale your agency and add $10,000 in MRR per month. Cheers.